Beginning the Trek, a 52-episode introduction to Star Trek. Not the the pilot. This is not the pilot. We don't do pilots on Star Trek anymore. We've sold the series. Ever again? Never again do we do pilots? I don't know. I mean, I suppose somebody might want to make a pilot and then pitch it to CBS. But in this case... A, a pilot is to try and sell the show. So nobody has yet purchased the show. Gotcha. So the pilot is that it's your showpiece. It's it's how it's the first product that comes off the off the line and it's what you say this is pretty much what it's going to look like if you buy 13 of them. This is our first No, let's introduce Hi everybody. Hello everybody. Welcome to the first uh, first of our episodes of Voyager. I have never seen any of them before and before this trek I didn't even know Janeway and Voyager existed. So How cool is that, right? That you <laughs> didn't have a clue about about Captain Janeway. It means I get to discover a whole new thing, which I find very exciting in sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you have. So now you've watched um, the first. We should say, this is beginning the track. We didn't actually, you didn't say that. Should we start over with this? I don't know. Maybe we should because this is a little goofy. It's weird. A little bit. So hi, everybody. Welcome to our first episode of Voyager. Yes. Which is, before this entire, before beginning the track, I had never even much less seen an episode, but never even heard of Janeway and Voyager. So this is all exciting. I'm excited for this. Yeah. And now you've seen Voyager for your first time. So we're going to be talking about that. Uh, For those of you that are joining us for your first time, and especially those of you who are brand new Star Trek fans, my name is Andy Goldberg. I'm the Trek veteran. That's Jessica, Jessica Ray, and she's <laughs> she's the Trek newbie. Um, I think we're a little excited today to talk some Voyager, right? Because I think I am. Yes, <laughs> you've been really looking forward to this for a long time. I have been. So if if this is your first visit with us, uh, we urge you to go back to the beginning of um, our Trek and start with episode one because these are meant to be taken in order. But if this is if you're following our Trek, uh, then today is episode thirty-seven, the first episode of the television show Star Trek Voyager Caretaker episodes one and two. We're totally going to ruin that in a second. So if you haven't seen it, you should probably go watch it because it comes much better from them than it does from, I mean, I think we do a pretty good job with our synopsis, but we keep them tight. So we do miss stuff. Obviously, it's a TV show. Go watch the TV show. <laughs> oh, I missed a ton of stuff. To be perfectly honest, I went through the whole thing, wrote 20 sentences, and realized I hadn't mentioned Neelix once. So I had to go wow. back and through and put it's them in. It's too much. It's so much. It's a huge so story. And, and this one's got story, story, story through the whole mm-hmm. thing. And a couple of kind of confusing things I wasn't sure how to write. Uh, but I'm ready to go if you're... Let's see how you did it then. Okay. So, Caretaker. Here we go. Voyager. <clears throat> A quick text roll reminds us about the rebellious Maquis before we are plunged into a spaceship chase and battle with the Badlands Maelstrom as backdrop for the Cardassians attacking a small rebel craft, and we are off and running. A Vulcan, a half-Klingon, and a Native American are flying the ship, and no, it's not a setup for a bar joke. It's a fast opening when we are rocked by an energy wave and we suddenly cut to Voyager's opening credits for Jessica's first time. Captain Catherine Janeway, hands on hips, stands above convicted felon, failed Starfleet officer and failed Maquis officer Thomas Eugene Paris, and makes him an offer he cannot refuse. 
The mission is to find the Maquis ship, as it had one of Janeway's people aboard, and Paris knew the leader, so he'd be helpful since he's the best pilot ever to be drummed out of two different organizations. <laughs> Young Ensign Harry Kim comes aboard and meets Paris and the new captain, who prefers to be called Captain because she's the captain, so they call her Captain. Let's stop to admire this beautiful ship for a moment, the Voyager, with its bioneural circuitry and hollow emitters and gel packs for data storage and top speeds of warp way the hell faster than the Enterprise ever went, and she's got a shiny, sleek new look. Before we really get our search underway, that wave that we saw hit the Maquis is back for the Voyager, and boom, we are swept over 75,000 light years from home, and we're now in the gamma, wait a minute, delta quadrant. Okay, yes, we met a bunch of other crew members, like the engineer and a doctor, but they all died in the wave impact, so there's no need to uh, talk about them, and we need to improvise now, and let's start with the Emergency Medical Hologram, or EMH. Please state the nature of the medical emergency, he asks, and he finds that he's the new ship's doc. And we are hell and gone from home, so you better improvise, doctor. We discover the space station that they call the Array is out there, and suddenly everybody on the ship disappears. Janeway et al. find themselves on a farm, and honestly, I don't know how to write this, so let's just say that we take a break from the pitchfork-filled illusion and find out that they're running experiments on everyone, and then they start running experiments on the Voyager crew as well. Return to the ship, everybody except for Harry Kim. The crew discovers the Maquis ship and decides to team up and figure out what the heck is happening to us. The Maquis also have someone missing, Bolana Torres, and both she and Kim have been cared for by a mostly docile group of aliens who said they were sent from the caretaker. And at some point along the way, we also meet Neelix, a goofy alien junk collector who sort of invites himself to come along for the ride, claiming he's an expert on this area of space and can assist in many ways. So, this caretaker provides for the Okapa's needs, the race who's helping Kim and Torres. And this happens every now and then, but these two begin searching for a way out of this underground homestead of the Okapans. Meanwhile, Janeway, reunited with her Vulcan security officer, Tuvok, goes back to the array to talk to the caretaker, but he ain't having it, and I'm beginning to think this guy is a real dick. Through Neelix, we have a run-in with the Kazon, a ruthless group of hippie people who are willing to go to battle over something as trivial as water. We escape the Kazon, and we also pick up Cass, an Okampan, who is something to Neelix, but we're not quite sure, and then we head to rescue Harry and Bolana. We do, in fact, rescue Harry and Bolana. Paris saves Chakotay's life, causing him no end of grief, and we all attempt to use the array to get home, but the now-dying caretaker needs us to destroy the array or else the Okampans will not be protected for the next few years, and yeah, I really think this guy is a dick. Janeway destroys the array, extending the Ocampus protection against the Kazon. Oh, and it also strands both crews 70 years from home. So we better combine forces, point towards Earth, and step on the gas. Wow, that was a lot. <laughs> That's a very lot. But I think, well, and as I'm going to say in a minute, it was a much better pilot, non-pilot, than the others that I've previously seen. So I liked it. It was a first-time watch. Shall we talk some Voyager episode? So you want to talk Voyager for the first time ever? Well, for me. <laughs> I'm sure you've talked about Voyager 
way more than I have. I have talked Voyager with other people. That is true. But I get to talk Voyager with you because you have seen Janeway for your first time. I did. Let's talk episode. I'm going to save my rating review to the end. But what I kind of want to point out is the difference between this pilot and other pilots that I've seen from Star Trek is that I understood the moments of characters in other pilots, especially TNG. Mm -hmm. They gave very clear, like, these are character moments and we're going to build on these. They were very obvious. Uh, But the plot's usually what's lacking for me. Okay. This was exactly opposite. I found that the story... while it has its flaws that I think everybody can see pretty... Which we will talk about, I am sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, it actually... it I felt like it pay, was paced really well. It was really thought out. And it was the moments that actually fell a little bit flat. But overall, I really enjoyed it. I got exactly where they were trying to go. And it was, it was an enjoyable watch. I didn't roll my eyes and want to turn it off like I do with past introductions to other Star Trek. So, um, I, I got that. That's great. Yeah, I kind of immediately got what they were going for. Uh, I thought it was a really good intro, especially given Star Trek's history for introducing shows in a just horrible way. <laughs> it, it, it's interesting because in my mind, I sort of felt like they they hit and missed at the same level that they hit and missed with something like Deep Space Nine. Really? But they hit and missed different things. And and you pointed them out. Yeah. Like, the story was a little more cohesive mm-hmm. than the story of Emissary, where we really didn't understand anything about the, the, the prophets. And, and then they throw this wormhole in, and you were kind of thrown into it, uh, which you were thrown into it here, too, mm-hmm. but in a different way, not quite so personal. You're right. The, I think there was some more. I think there was some more story here than Deep Space Nine had, and I think there were less moments and less character development, less thought out there. And and I think that's pretty indicative of Voyager. I think it takes them a while for some of the characters to develop, but the stories are pretty good right from the beginning. That's awesome. I actually looked up because I know I've been seeing the name Michael Pillar everywhere. Yes. From not just Deep Space Nine, but I'm pretty sure TNG and here, just as a a notice. But there's another name on there, um, and I looked her up, and I want to look her up. This is more Trek, but I don't think we're going to have a talking Trek, because all of this is going to be... This is going to be a lot of... Full. uh, This is the introduction to Voyager, so it's kind of all talking Trek and all talking episode, and we'll just see where... Who knows? We're we're 70,000 light years from home. We can do what we want. I like it. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Taylor. Jerry Taylor. She was a little bit fascinating to look, not even a little bit, uh, just a real fun read on uh, who she is. So if you want to look up something, guys, and you're new to Star Trek, I, I enjoyed uh, some of the stuff. She she made a, like a lot of scripts available and talks through a lot of her, why they did what they did, which I didn't get into because obviously I don't want to get too far into Voyager, but her just seeing her name and I was like, oh, I should look this up. And then I did. And uh, I, thought, I think it was well worth looking up because I didn't know anything. I didn't even know that she existed. Well, there you go. Yeah, well, there's... She's awesome. She sounds really awesome. That's all. She's got a lot of... Yeah, she's got some In the Heat of the Night. She's done a lot of producing. Producing, executive producing. Obviously, the work that I know her from is from Star Trek. And she was executive producer of, according to IMDb, 93 of their 170-ish episodes. So 
Um, she produced quite a bit of, and she also produced, wow, supervising producer for 50 episodes of Next Gen, 26 co-executive producers, 25 executive producers. Yeah, she's got some Star Trek cred. Just a little, just a little, but it just seems like a legitimate name. And you know what else I looked, because uh, again, kind of the way we did with DS9, I don't know many of these names. I, before I even started on the track, I'd never heard of this track. I'd never heard of Janeway at all. Yeah. Which now looking back, I'm like, How she's a whole captain with a whole show. Every She's very forgotten. I was incredibly surprised. I was incredibly surprised. Then I looked at, yeah, I didn't just look up her. I looked up a lot of the actors so that I could learn their names and the characters that they're playing, obviously, because I didn't know a bunch of these actors' names. A ton of these actors have gone on to direct a lot of stuff. Like, they went the technical way, not just more acting. Uh, it Just a really cool thing to see the trend. Like, Bellana Torres, uh, Roxanne Dawson, mm-hmm. also ended up doing just a ton of directing stuff. So, it, it's just cool to see. I hadn't looked that up for other series. Yeah. Star Trek seems to foster more in their actors. They just go on and... and I guess that's networking in general, but it's cool to see. It's not like a one-off thing and then they die (laughs) as humans. Well, and maybe success begets success, but but no, there are several episodes of Star Trek directed by cast members. Um, Jonathan Frakes directed several members or several episodes of Next Gen. Um, Gates McFadden directed several episodes. You're right. They they foster their own talent and and encourage them to be creative in other ways. If if you don't see them on screen again, that doesn't mean they've gone away. So it was really fun to look up some of that. It's very Star Trek. So Voyager, for the first time, I'd never heard of Janeway. Yes. And now I have. I I obviously knew about Kate Mulgrew, but that was mostly coming from Orange is the New Black, as I've mentioned before. Right. Yep. You get to see that 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 hero pose in her first moment. Straight pan up. Yeah. Standing above Paris with the good stuff. Right. With the with the hands on her hips. Now that's the Janeway maneuver. Uh, hands on hips. You get that right off the bat. The okay. hands on hips. Well, you'll see that a lot. Yep. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, that's her pose. So tell me your first impressions of Captain Catherine Janeway. I was surprised that I had forgotten how distinct her voice is. Uh, and I found it distracting, especially on the first run through, because she's got she's just got a completely different voice than anybody else. Yes. By the time the episode was done and by the time I had watched it again, it didn't even notice it. Uh, but that was definitely a first impression kind of thing. And then my second was she's decisive. Yes, she is. There is no. Well, let me think about this and have a meeting. Nope. She's the captain. She's making decisions. If that hurts deal with it or leave. However, they did make a point of putting in quite a few scenes that showed not only her, particularly as a female, talking to her husband, boyfriend, partner. I honestly don't know. Okay. I, honestly, I don't think that they're married, but uh, they she are. She sounded like they lived in separate homes, but that could be a very Starfleety. She's the captain of a ship. That might just be the thing to do. She asked him to take care of her dog. Right. So- they are at a level of intimacy that is... You love me, you love my dogs. Yes, isn't that That's great? That's the line. That's, it was... It's very character building, right? Very. And an enjoyable one, too, when she kind of gets up into the camera and it's just like, you never bother me, except in the way I like being bothered. That was... It. And it it takes away some of that, she's going to be a hard-nosed bitch leader 
to see that. And not just that scene, but she shows her compassion and her thoughtfulness for her crew uh, when she's talking about how she she's lost Harry Kim, she didn't even know him. It was her first yeah. mission with him, and uh, talking about his clarinet, it bo- it bothers and talking her. to yeah. her mother, talking to Harry's mother, and all that. Yeah, it was that that scene right there showed it showed so much. First of all, it showed how much she really does care. Mm-hmm. It showed the relationship that she has with Tuvok, yes, uh, the Vulcan. Which, you know, so there's a, a, a new character. Well, we're just going to be talking about. <laughs> well, I was going to go in order, but you kind of have to put Janeway first. She's the captain. So we'll go. We can go back and do it in order. <laughs> well, I, we had the one scene at the very beginning with the three Maquis mm-hmm. with with Tuvok and Belana Torres and Chakotay. Mm-hmm. So that's the guy with the face drawing. It's not a tattoo. It's a drawing. He draws that. Really? It's not. A, it's not a tattoo. He draws that on every day, every day. And there's an episode where he talks about it. Okay. Well, I was going to talk about Chakotay first. Well, go for it. Because he gets the first line of the entire series. Yes. Which started out, by the way, very Star Warsian, with the... You're just thrown right into the action. Rolling text and then immediate space battle. Yeah. So Chakotay was very interesting. I would like to note that if you repeat his name after every time they say his name on screen, you'll find that they say his name on screen a lot. <laughs> and I don't blame them because by the end of my second watch of this, every time they said Chakotay, I was like, Chakotay! <laughs> He's got a phenomenal name. Just saying. I wonder if it's a drinking game. Uh, it sounds like a drinking game to me. It does sound like I, I wasn't drinking, but it could very easily turn into would be nonsensical by the end of watching an episode. Chakotay! Uh, and I have just, you're talking, you're talking earlier about the authenticity. I have a really stupid pet peeve. Yes. And it is one that I am not alone in, but I have lived in the Southwest of America and I have lived right up against the Navajo reservation, which is Navajo, by the way, not Navajo, please, everybody. Navajo. Navajo as in navigation. Uh, we have this thing where European people came over to the Americas and declared it to be India and called all the people here Indians and there's it's not India. Yes. And I don't know the solution for this because indigenous sounds the way it sounds. Native. Native. I also like I'd prefer that I think almost over anything. Like I don't know if I even get a say, but I feel like I do because it's at least a little more authentic except I am also native. I was born here. Let's get this out of the way right now, then. We'll talk about the authenticity of Chicote's Heritage. Thank you. Thank you, God. Heritage. Deep Space Nine, the producers, Jerry Taylor included, mm-hmm. hired a... Deep Space Nine, you're talking Voyager. Oh, sorry. Sorry. What show is this? <laughs> no, I'm with you. We might want to mention these are running concurrently even... Like, they overlapped five years. DS9 and Voyager totally overlapped five years. So A, a lot of the storyline that was going on during Voyager, the Dominion Wars happening. Meanwhile, Voyager's stuck out in the in the freaking... Alpha Quadrant? Yeah. Uh, no, they're in the, they're in the uh, Delta they're Quadrant. They're not in Gamma. Delta Quadrant. How many quadrants are there? I'm hoping there's only four. Well, I assume there's it's quadrants. a quadrant that there's four of them. So I mean, quad, I would hope four. so, but you never know. So I know. assume that it's Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, I don't know. Totally off topic. We were talking about Chicote and how authentic he is. Right. So they hired. So the so the producers hired a Native American, Native 
expert. Robert Beltran calls, I'm assuming that's the way his name is pronounced. Robert Beltran, yep. Uh, he describes himself as Latin Indio, which is Latin Indian. Well, it turns out that these, the expert was a fraud, a complete and total oh. fraud, and was making things up. And, like literally just pulling stuff out of the encyclopedia and telling them stuff like that. I hope he got sued. Well, I don't know how that finally got resolved. I don't know. Obviously got fired. But once you've made the shows and the shows are right. aired and by the time that you find yeah. out that you've done That's this. That's canon. And what do you do at that point? I know a way. I know a way you could retcon that. How do you retcon that? Uh, you're in space. You are more than hundreds of years away from what we right now in 2018 consider authentic. Society's change. Societies change over the generations. You and it could be, uh, that could be a really cool story. Actually, if Chakotay finds out that all of these things he believed by finding like this original manuscript or, you know, like coming across things and discovering his own stuff and how the things that he believe about himself are, or his heritage are wrong. We're not even necessarily wrong because cultures develop. Right. Things change over time. You right. There's no Maya. There's no Inca. There's no Aztec. So all of that we developed Americans over are time. We Americans not living so. as the same kind of Americans that were Americans 200 years ago. We're just right. different people now. We have different customs and we do different things. And so yes. I get that- it. As much as we want representation and I am hu- Yes. This it's 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 so awesome to see this in the same way it was really awesome to see Uhura and Sulu and that not everybody's let's just let's address this one. Not everybody's paradise is a Midwestern Kansas fair. Like that bugged me. Oh, you want to move on to the caretaker itself and the and no, the no, array. no 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 I don't. I just wanna just that's so really that's that's Star Trek's version of Ugh, it's it, it, it's it's not Star Trek's version of Paradise. That's Star Trek's that's Star Trek's version of what the caretaker thought would work for the people. It is a recurring trend from the original series yeah. onward. Yeah. But I will say it is hilarious to me that in these spacefaring societies, pitchforks make such a prevalent. Like, they're in every series. Why are there pitchforks all the time in Star Trek? It's hilarious. If you don't have pitchforks, how can you fight off the aliens? Just, it amuses me greatly because I'm, I'm, I saw them in TNG. I saw them in DS9. I have now seen them in Voyager. It's just funny. All right, let's not talk about that. We, so so we're, eight, we're, nine, we're 20 minutes into this recording and we've talked about two characters. This is not going to go. Bilana? <laughs> You want to talk about Bilana? Uh Yeah, because she's introduced second, and she seems like a pretty fiery character. She's the only one yes. that calls out Janeway as, like, who's, who are you to be deciding these things? Right. And legitimately so, I think. But I think that established Janeway more as a character when Chakotay says, she's the captain. Yeah. That he's accepted that, she gets to, ex- she gets to accept that. Or not. I'm curious to see, because this feels like... DS9 combined with TNG. It certainly is going to create a different kind of culture clash, isn't it? We've got we've got Maquis. Mm-hmm. We we've got Federation people. Mm-hmm. We have a former Federation, former Maquis, and now kind of back with the Federation guy that sort of has been disenfranchised by everyone. Oh, we're gonna talk about Thomas Eugene Paris. 
Yeah, <laughs> we've we've got <laughs> we've got a spy that was part of the Maquis crew, but really was working for Janeway. Mm-hmm. So we've got all kinds of nobody was w- with anybody at the beginning. Everybody seems to have been a loner. In one way or another. We've got this Neelix guy. Mm-hmm. And we've gotten to him. Don't take my junk. <laughs> and Cass. So almost everybody is sort of showing up to the party with nobody else. Harry Kim, the brand sure, new. Sure, brand new. And then Tuvok is on there. And then Tuvok is there. And aside from him having nice character moments with Janeway, uh, I have a feeling I'm going to like him because he's Vulcan. I tend to like that. <laughs> Played by Tim Russ. Played by Tim Russ. I want to learn these names, so this is just me saying there them. There you go. Perfect. This is how we do it, right? So there's your three Maquis that we meet at the beginning. There's some other Maquis, but for the most part, those are the main ones that we're going to we're gonna see going forward. Right. And they are all series regulars, those three. And then... And then... It's Janeway. We get Janeway yep. in her hero pose, yep. talking to... Thomas Eugene Paris, the convict. Thomas Eugene Paris, played by Robert Duncan McNeil. He's a dick. (laughs) Everyone knows he's a dick. Yeah. He knows he's a dick. He's a big disgrace. He calls himself a mercenary. But what bugs me about him the most is that he's arrogant without reason. Because on his, like, first time out, he messes up. And so... He decides, well, since I messed up, I'm going to go mess up real bad and join the Maquis. And then he messes up with them. And then he has the gall in prison to look at Janeway and be like, I'm the best what a pilot there is out there. Uh, your track record would say differently, sir. That was my biggest thing with him. But I have a feeling he was, he's that character. where you are like, oh, he was a dick at first, but now he's awesome. Yep, he's, he's, he's a pretty boy. He's there, you know, yeah. partly for, you know... Uh, those romantic interludes with the pretty aliens when they come along. Sure. He's smarmy. He's got a little bit of Riker quality to him. He's snarky when the captain says, you can call me, don't call me sir. I'd prefer to be called ma'am or just, you know, captain. And then he's like, yeah, captain. Well, um. He does that. I like that Janeway completely ignores it. I'm going to go ahead and minor. Yeah, right. That's fun. Um, and, And I like that moment too, where she says, I prefer captain. That's a yeah. that's a that's a strong moment, I think. I thought so too. Yeah, ma'am will do in a pinch, but I prefer captain. It's like I, it, this is partly another part of my way. This is how we do it here now. You got it. Yeah. So let me give. I'll give you a minor spoiler. I was going to mention this in talking track, but I'll give you a minor spoiler. And I'm going to recommend this. The very next episode is an episode that's got some. Um, uh, some character building and some how do we go forward. This is just a recommended. He will be assigned to become the new nurse for the doctor. Awesome. So he gets taken down a peg right from the beginning. Doesn't like it, but has to deal with it. Well, while we're at that, of all of the characters who start off so strong. Please state the nature of the medical emergency. He doesn't have a name. He's just the holographic doctor. He's the doctor. Okay. Played by Robert Picardo. Played by Robert Picardo. And all I have is, uh, yes, more, please, in my notes. Oh, you'll get plenty more. I love this doctor already. Yeah. And he sent me spiraling down a thought about robots in space. And if the hologram can replace officer positions, why aren't there just tons of holographic ensigns running around fixing stuff? Do you really need an engineering crew? If Anyway, so I had like a whole 
he sent me down a whole fascinating line of thoughts, much in the data way. Yeah, his storylines will be similar to data in we will explore. He, he may be the, the the character seeking his humanity most in this show. Not in this episode, though. Not in this episode. He's like, could you guys just turn me off when you leave, please? <laughs> just very enjoyable. You'll start to see his character develop, and he has character. He is That is not just a robot. He definitely has character and goes through a lot. Um, right now, he's confined to the, sick, to the sick bay. That will not always be the case. They will expand his domain. Okay. Does Voyager... I mean, they talked a little bit about how uh, technology on Voyager is different. Yes. Bio, bio-neural circuitry and... Gel yeah. packs and all of that. If mm-hmm. this... Hollow Sweet program can wander around, interact with real things. Obviously, he's he's matter. Yes. Um, do they have a Hollow Suite? They do have. Yeah. They. Oh, absolutely. In fact, on your trek, one of your Voyager episodes will be a Hollow Suite, a Hollow Deck episode. We're Holodeck. back to Hollow Decks because we're on a gotcha. big ship now, so right. it's like a whole big thing. Uh, so we will be watching what some people consider to be one of the the most fun Hollow Deck episodes in all of Star Trek. So. Okay. That seems a little silly to have an entire deck when clearly the entire ship can become a hollow deck. It's a hollow ship. (laughs) Well, it's not a hollow ship yet. Just for the... Oh, okay, I see. Just for the doctor right now in sickbay. Right now, that doctor is supposed to be... I mean, that's an emergency... That's like a first aid kit. That's something on the wall that you take off when you need additional stuff. They were not expecting that he was going to be their doctor. But you can see it. You start to see that maybe that's not such a bad idea. It's worth exploring. And we and we will explore the holographic rights. Cool. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Is he sentient? All kinds of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and they'll even give him opportunity to play with his own program <gasps> and some of the changes that's he makes. That's awesome. Well, until he turns into a bad guy. And of course, we'll probably see some of that at some point too, because you know, Star Trek, <laughs> as it should be, yeah. And then the other two characters are kind of, kind of along the same oddball way. Uh, Neelix, we get introduced to, played by Ethan Phillips. Yes. And Kess, who Neelix seems like a lot of fun. There's lots of places to go with his kind of character, but we kind of get it. He's there to be comic relief slash interest slash just I don't know ambassador guy. He's kind of a touchstone to the to the to the Gamma Quadrant, uh, or I'm sorry, to the Delta Quadrant. So so you know he he'll help guide us at the early part of the journey until we get out of space he's familiar with. Mm-hmm. Definitely a little bit of a, you know, kind of not, he's not Quark, but he definitely, some of his stories get a little cute and funny. Sure. And he, 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 he self appoints himself the morale officer of the ship at some point. Okay. It's really cute and fun. Uh, yeah. Pastel suits are ridiculous. Yeah. He's got the ridiculous factor that you kind of need everybody. I mean, everybody can't be Tuvok. It would be a horrible show. <laughs> our, our next episode, you're going to learn a lot more about him. You're going to learn a lot more about the doctor. And I'm really curious about Kess, who, let me see if I can pronounce her last name, Jennifer Lean. Uh, now we're going to get into that. Uh, does Andy know how to pronounce it? I believe you're correct. It might be Lien, but I think it's Lean. Okay. 
she has a the actress has a phenomenal voice like i could just sit and listen that's so soothing yeah but as her as her character she's ocampin 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 and that means she's only going to live for nine years is nine year lifespan and she is and she is one year old is she going to age well i would assume that she will age in the like like remember the doctor the ocampin doctor that you saw Mm -hmm. he looked older he looked like he was in his 40s or 50s so he's probably probably eight seven seven yeah he might be seven years old at this point so i would assume that they basically kind of look more mature as they get older. Um, she goes through some hairstyle changes. She goes through a little bit of makeup change through the, through the show. I was hoping that that wouldn't be something that was just like, oh, it's a one-off thing, and then they forget about. Uh, much like, I'm sure they're going to use her telepathy or whatever latent abilities they were talking about. This, so it's probably going to be fun to experiment with the, her character, uh, especially since they lost the Betazoid that Paris decided was only there to hit on. Right. And so, of course, she just immediately dies. <laughs> Lost a lot of people, didn't we, right off the bat? Yeah. First officer, gone. Doctor, gone. Well, all of those roles that seemed to be needed to be filled by the Maquis were just conveniently hmm. dead. How about that? That's a horrible thing to say. But, you know, the truth is, like with past Star Trek, they don't seem to mourn very long. They take, like, half a moment and then they're like, like I think Janeway should have been far more outraged at the caretaker. So, so, so I love the idea of that we were cut off. We are, this is an epic journey about a ship and a crew. And Janeway even says it herself. I got to get them home. They're, they're a fine crew and I got to get them home. That says it mm-hmm. all right there. And even her promise to Tuvok, I'm going to get you home. That's, that's Voyager. That's the concept right there. And it's formed off of that. We got kidnapped by this guy who did something horrible to another race and is now willy-nilly kidnapping people. Not willy-nilly. Well? Fairly (laughs) willy-nilly. I mean, he's looking for particular things. uh, You know, Neelix Neelix has seen it thousands of times. Well, Well, like hundreds of times. Well, maybe 50 times. But he's seen it. Enough for it to be not cool. Enough for it to be not cool. Well, just once is not cool enough. Kidnapping just once is not cool. And we are going to run into other ships that, this happened too, by the way. Oh, that's sad. Which means he's been doing this for a while. So he's right. stealing other ships from elsewhere. All over. So that he can try and cr- create offspring so that they can be the lighthouse keeper for this for this race that he's been guarding. Now, while it's all very altruistic and stuff, how is any of this our responsibility? Well, it's not altruistic, and the problem with what he's doing is one that everybody needs to think about, especially... It's called consent. Yes! You're seriously going to kidnap, and he did, he ended up killing a bunch on the crew, bring them over here, find out that they didn't work out for your needs because you're selfish, also very dumb. Yes, and then say tough luck. If you have that technology clone yourself or something different. So obviously he, he didn't ask permission. And then you're going to create another being to live out its life in service of these people that, that yeah, who you are so far removed from. We messed up because we came from another, what did he say? They didn't know that their technology was going to be so destructive. Yes. All right. There's a bunch of different ways to handle that. than 
putting them underground, giving them everything they need, keeping them... It's like... It's like a little bit of Finding Nemo, only really more, way more messed up. If if we had encountered a being that was that was kidnapping ships from all over the place, so that it could artificially control a power struggle on a planet that it yes. wasn't on, what would we do? You're the bad guy. That's the bad guy. That sounds like a bad guy in a lot of Star Trek episodes to me. That's a bad guy. We certainly wouldn't respect their wishes at the end. Fundamentally, it's the one major flaw that I have with with Voyager is that our motivation for staying there is to help this guy accomplish a ridiculous goal that doesn't make any sense. So I have to sus- completely suspend my disbelief right. and say, okay, it happened. Right. And we're going to blow up the array right. rather than use the technology to take care of ourselves. See, that's I didn't see that. I saw Janeway in, stuck in a really sticky situation because the truth is he was going to blow it up anyway. And Tuvok says... Let's use this time we have to get away. But she disagrees. She even tells the caretaker, maybe they need to grow up. Maybe you're shielding them isn't doing great like you think it's doing. So she disagrees with the caretaker really very gently, I think, considering all that he's doing and has done. And then after he dies, instead of following through on her original thing, she reverts back to... She does his plan. She does his plan. Even Tuvok's like... We should get away. There's no guarantee they could have gotten away while he's tr- while Tuvok is trying to set that up. And there's also a ship outside that's basically destroying Voyager. And the only reason that they didn't is because uh, Chakotay sacrificed that ship to plow it into Jabin. No, Jabin's still alive. Yeah, no, the, but the Nistrum ship, the Kazon ship. The, the Kazon ship. Yeah. So I, I don't like the motivation. I especially don't like how weak the secondary characters are, even... The Ocampans, especially the caretaker, mm-hmm. bothersome. The more I watch it, the more bothersome it's going to be. But I do, I like the moral situation they put her in yeah. of, do we save ourselves or do we save this? And she, ch- like, in the moment of, if you're going to make that decision, what she chose was save them. We have the strength and capabilities to at least find something else. So that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I think that showed that. But yeah, it was definitely lacking in the thought through process. I, I, I think Janeway made a made a, a, a bad call to follow the caretaker's plan. And that's what causes Voyager to happen. She had no other she wasn't gonna you know what would have been really interesting, I think, is if they had tried to do it and she had said, Yes, the prime directive does apply here. I'm still not sure why the Prime Directive doesn't apply. Just because we were brought here by someone else? And and mm-hmm. maybe there's something about the... I thought about this, too. Maybe there's something about the Prime Directive I don't know, which is if we accidentally break the Prime Directive, what do we do then? Do we try to fix it or do we try to get out of well, it? Well, that's what the caretaker That's exactly... Yeah, but is. he doesn't necessarily have a Prime Directive. He just tried to fix what he broke. Well, his version of the Prime Directive is... We had two of us who stayed behind. Also, she just took off. Right? Like, after a certain amount of time, it's like, what the hell with this? How selfish is that chick? Well, and maybe we'll find her someday. Yeah. That would be really interesting to see a different perspective. And if she was just like, yeah, that jellyfish dude that I was stuck with was a douche. And Janewell would be like, yeah, he kind of was. He kidnapped and killed people all over the place. Yeah, right. Turns out he was an evil guy from the... from from. Right, right. She was just like, I got this... 
the other alien is just like, I got stuck with this jerk. I'm leaving after who knows how long they had been doing that. And given the Okumpin's nine-year lifespan, mm-hmm. they had turned him into a god and he had never done anything. There's some problems with it. If you have the technology to do everything that he did, why do what he did? Right. He was a very, very weak, very weak in motivation. Like, I couldn't figure out. And the more you watch it, of course, the more it's going to bug you. On a first-time watch, I was like, oh, okay. And so here's what I, here's how I've chosen to go forward. I disagree with what Janeway did. I don't think that she made the right call by, by destroying the array, by not using it to get back. And here, and here we are. Mm-hmm. In the Delta Quadrant, we are 70,000 light years from home. It's going to take us a long time. And I think it's time for us to point the ship towards, towards home and start heading that way. I kind of disagree because that was the moment that showed me that she was going to put uh, strangers and other aliens. And there's other moments in there too. Like when they let their guns get taken away Yes. on a second watch, you can kind of see her. She's like, Oh, if they're so desperate for water, here's how we're going to handle this. I mean, Neelix pretty much takes over, but she lets that happen. And she lets, she could have made other decisions, but that was the one that I was just like, she made the right decision. Mm-hmm. I don't think she could have made a different decision. If using the array to get home wasn't going to work, which we were never told it was, we were told that Tuvok could try. Yes. But the caretaker dies. So at that point is choose the Ocompens and go the way or what? Fly away and let things happen anyway? Well, and like you said, it only it only buys the Ocompens five years. Caretaker, the more I think about it, the more dumb the caretaker gets. We're not, we're not staying there. Right. Yeah, we're not staying there. We're not. This isn't the story of how Voyager stays, you know, with the Ocampas and takes care of them for the rest of their lives. Right. That's not what the story is. We're leaving. We got to head home. It just strikes me that this caretaker in another episode of Star Trek is a villain. Yeah, totally. Maybe he's a villain in this episode. I can't tell. We basically compromise our ability to get home to to violate the Prime Directive. That's my, that's where it is, is it's not, we're not compromising it to avoid the prime directive. We're compromising it to alter the events that are happening here. Even after the caretaker dies, we are now actively saying we're going to affect the, the lives of the Ocompans and the Kazons without knowing much about them. What should she have done though? I don't know. I don't know because I don't know what happens when you accidentally violate the prime directive or find yourself in a situation where you're suddenly violating the prime directive, which is sort of what happened. It wasn't like we showed up and said, oh, there's a society. Let's go play with them. No, we we didn't. We were thrown into them. We were thrown into them. And and so what do you do? Do you do you back yourself out as quickly as possible and try not to step on anything on the way out? Or do you try and fix everything that you broke? She didn't break anything. Because she was getting her people back. Well she didn't break anything. Even in blowing up the array, she kept with what the caretaker was going to do. Yes. I mean, she didn't necessarily need to do it. But when the caretaker died and the self-destruct stopped. The natural order of events were going so to So be- Jabin wants to get on and find all of this technology, which, to be fair, is kind of fair. If the Ocompens had spaceflight... If we're not there, that's the natural progression of life in the Delta Quadrant. Is that the Kazons finally get to develop whatever happens when they take over the array. They finally get it. Yes. But what do we do? We blow it up. We take that out of we take that out of their hands. We alter the future of the Delta Quadrant by doing that. She actually violates the prime directive 
in my opinion, in my opinion, because suddenly the Kazans were going to be in control of the Ocampans. And she takes it away again. The caretaker is so set on saving the Ocampans. Where did Kazans come from? Why isn't he taking care of them as well? I don't know. Because if they were on that world, or if they settled on that world later, why wouldn't he also take... They are living on a planet that he destroyed. Why is he making a distinction between, I need to save these people, but these people are bad people? I'm going to go ahead and put the caretaker in the bad guy category. The more I think... Yeah, the more I think about it, the worse it <laughs> gets. Like, the way worse it gets. It doesn't change the fact that this was the, the decision. Janeway had to make a horrible decision. Do I, do I try and save a peaceful society mm-hmm. or hope that I can use the technology to get myself home and let that society be overrun? And she, she made the call she made. Obviously, there's no show without making the call that she makes. But yeah, the more, the more you dive into that thought process, right. I, the I, worse and, it gets. And I'll be real honest with you. I didn't really think about it from those terms before you and I sat down to talk about this. Me either. I mean, I did have notes about how he was really weak. He was very weak on motivation, but the more we talk about it, the worse it gets. Now I'm starting to think that he was actually a bad guy. Yeah. And and, and even on your track, we're going to meet another ship that got brought over. Got brought over. Yep. We're going to meet another one of those ships that got brought over. Fascinating. That's coming up. And then my only other qualm with this is uh, the bad guys who, at this point, I'm not even sure are bad guys, which is the Kazons. Mm -hmm. They want the technology so that they can drink water. Yes. That's not evil. Not exactly a horrible motivation, right? Like, it sounds like they really want to survive. What would you do for water? Probably a lot. However, if you have space flight, why the hell don't you have water? Go somewhere that has water. Because even even Neelix is just like, he has a ship. Yeah. So is the entire quadrant just like barren of water? That makes no sense because it was a one planet the caretaker's taking care of and giving beaming, pulsing water and food to her. Yeah. Uh, it just, yeah. It's a logic thread that I think if you pull too much, we'll, we'll, yeah, yeah. We'll, it won't make as much sense. Yeah. It doesn't stay a major issue if I remember correctly. This this is so this is such a D and D epic. It's 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 ridiculous. Uh-huh. The Kazan are the level one right. bad guys. Sure. Okay. Dirty hair, sandstorm, Mad Max people. Right, right, and and ships that you know seven of them. It takes seven of them to do any kind of actual damage to us or anything. But they did. They managed to be a but threat. But they did. When there's enough of them, it can cause all kinds of grief. Yeah. As we start to leave, I level up. We'll level up. <laughs> As we start to level up, we'll encounter. Uh-huh. other races. And in fact, your track is going to be, we're going to meet another race next week that we encounter mm-hmm. often in the early parts of DS9. Then we're going to have another Kazon episode. We we did make a point to talk about how we're now enemies. Oh yeah. The, we, we made an enemy today and they are a royal pain in the butt. And that's early Voyager. Now that's level one, level two, level three. You know, we're, we're, we're learning how to, how to cast our spells and, and fight the demons and stuff like that. Um, then we're going to get to the big bad and we're going to get there really quick. Okay. The Borg are in Delta Quadrant. Ah, did the Borg come from the Delta Quadrant? They came from the Delta Quadrant. All right, cool. If we want to get home, we got to go through the Borg, through Borg space. And your track is going to, we're going to spend, the first third of your track is going to be spent uh, right here in levels one, two, and three. (laughs) And then we're going to take a big level up. Sure. And we're going to jump straight to the Borg. 
because that's where the Voyager epic really gets going. So, so that's where we're that's where we're headed. Um, so these guys, these Kazan guys, they're they, and they are a little bit more cardboard. Okay. They kind of remind me of I don't know early Klingons, early Ferengi. They reminded me of Mad Max. That was it. They're going to get stronger too as we move in. We'll learn a little more about them. That's how we're going to do Voyager. Okay. Are you happy with Janeway at first? I am. They have placed her exactly where she needed to be because she absolutely cannot be a sex kitten. Uh, if Jadzia took over DS9, that doesn't work. Right. When she comes off as commandery, it still manages whatever that level is. Yes. The balance between the masculine energy of running a ship and needing that. Mm-hmm. without being too motherly, without being mm-hmm. unfeminine. I don't know. It's the same thing. We require a lot more of women in power than men in power. We do. Just as, in general, I think as humans, we accept a lot more. <laughs> well, I think they have to deal with they have to deal with different challenges. They're perceived differently. Yes. By by both men and women. Yes. And by different kinds of men and women. But she strikes a nice balance between the authoritative what you might call the masculine side right. and the empathetic, what you might call the feminine side. And yet she does it in a way that makes you respect her. Uh, she pretty much stays true to um, not having a romantic interest. They don't have her go and seduce the, the alien of the week. Right. They don't, they don't do any of that. She does it without putting sex into it. Which I can see a, another side of that being like, well, why not? She's a woman. She has like, just like Kirk ran off and kissed all the aliens. Why doesn't she, like you could get to. She could. It would be a completely different captain. It would be a completely different story. And it would be, I understand. I understand exactly where this woman is at as a, as a captain. And I appreciate that it was so quickly what it is. Yeah. I feel like I know what I'm going to get for her as much as I'm like the caretaker turned into a real, real weird bad guy. Uh, I still feel like Janeway is, I'm not guessing at her motivations. I'm not guessing at uh, who she is or what she's going to do. She's not Cisco. Yeah. She's, she's not. She's definitely not Cisco. She's, she's not compromising and she's very decisive. And I like both of those things. She is probably the most by the book captain of all of them. Interesting. Like even if you go, like even Picard. Maybe. Maybe. Picard's pretty by the book, but he's diplomatically by the book. Very, very. He he talks himself. Anyways, by the book and she's pretty much a no, this is how it is. By the, this is the book. Read the book. I'll be over here <laughs> doing the book. Doing the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh but that's like I I can see that. I'm curious to see where it goes. I hope she has to deal this as kind of a wrap up, I think is a very nice contrast to mixing DS9. They're going to be on this ship. They're going to be together. I can see a lot of stories about that happening, but they're also exploring. They're encased in this ship kind of the way DS9 is. Yes. Their journey is all together. They're not but they're still going out to seek new life because she's like, this is that ending. That ending was after all of it still hopeful. Yes. It felt more original Star Trek to me than DS nine has. Um, and I liked that. I can see why you wouldn't like that, especially if you were watching DS nine at the same exact time and fully wrapped up. I mean, it was five seasons of overlap so just when ds9 is you're really getting into it and considering kira and cisco and quark family and watching them every week 
this pops up and it's so different. I don't know too many Star Trek fans that love both Voyager and Deep Space Nine. It's usually a one or the other. They may mm-hmm. like both, mm-hmm. you know, a, a Beatles Elvis kind of Got, yeah, kind yeah. of argument. You can like both of them, but you're only going to love one or the other. They started off way stronger, I think. This pilot was the best pilot that I've seen from Star Trek, but I haven't seen Enterprise and I haven't seen Discovery yet. Discovery, yeah. We'll see if I keep that opinion. <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll yeah, see what, happens. what if I hope I don't hate Voyager? <laughs> I've, I think I don't think you're going to hate Voyager at all. We'll see. You might be the first person that loves both. Who knows? I, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see for me. So we've reached that part of the of the episode where you need to give your rating. All right, I'm giving this a. I and I'm glad I saved it to the end because I was going to give it. Uh, you know what? It's three out of five. Caretaker rocks. Caretaker rocks. Because that's what he kind of sh- shrivels up into. So caretaker corpses. Caretaker corpses. Caretaker corpse rocks. Because, like yeah, when he finally dies, you just sort of go and into that little rock. And now it bothers me that she takes so much care with him because he was such a bad guy. Yeah. She should have fought him. It's not cool. Mm-hmm. I didn't even realize until this. It's just. I'm right there with you. Surprise, surprise. Here's how next week works. We're going to be watching episode five of the first season. So that's like really, really soon because there's only two episodes between Caretaker and and episode five. Right. So I'm going to recommend for people that want to get a little bit more character development, I'm going to recommend that you go and watch episode three of the first season, which is called Parallax. And in Parallax, we'll start to assign uh, crew positions to to various people. Now, if you don't want to watch Parallax, I will tell you that the majority of what it's about is how Belana Torres, the half Klingon, half human, mm-hmm. becomes the chief engineer of Voyager. Okay. So she will become the chief engineer by the end of this, and she starts out by punching out the chief engineer. <laughs> so that's Parallax. She's a feisty one. I like She this. is an incredibly feisty one, yes. Do we really blame the feistiness all on her Klingon side? Because she does that in this episode. We didn't talk about her very much at all, but... Yeah, we didn't, and, and we'll talk more about her going forward, but she's another one of those Klingons that didn't know quite how to play a Klingon when she first started, and so you play him angry, and you play him loud, just like Worf did. Eventually, she'll calm down into this engineering position, and she, she really quite rocks. She's really good at it. I'm excited to see where, where all of these people go, but... Yeah. So the very next episode after Parallax, the fourth episode of the first season is called Time and Again. We discover a planet that life basically stopped and they discover that they can go back in time to try and prevent it. And while the story is okay, uh, we get a lot of good character development. From the whole crew? Paris is in there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but a lot of Janeway, a lot of Paris. Kim is involved some. Life stopped because of an explosion. So life stopped, and then suddenly uh, they find themselves back in time just before it happened and could potentially prevent it. Uh, And what do you do? Prime Directive says you do not. Prime Directive says you don't, but, you know, what do you do? So we'll find out what you do. And all that time, we're also dealing with the culture clash of the planet, of the uh, two crews. And that's a piece that I, that I really wanted to show you. That's a piece that I want to see, too, because they did not address this, especially as you'd think, like, from the way she talked, I would have expected Janeway to make Tuvok her first officer. 
Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. It was Chicote. And while I understand that he was the captain of the other one, yes. it should have at least been mentioned or he should have had a moment kind of the way Paris did. And it wasn't there. I agree. And, and anyway. yes, and Tuvok's stories are really interesting. He, he, Some of Tuvok's stories are really dark. Really? Really dark. Yeah. And some of that's his best stuff when he gets dark. Okay. So we'll play with that. Later on. I'm excited. I I really I didn't talk a whole lot about him because I didn't really think a whole lot about him because he seemed so solid in his character. Kind of the way Janeway was. Like, I don't expect a whole lot of variation. They both have their characters set and, and this is going to be a series of tests pushing their character over and over and over again. And that's kind of how both of them go through a lot of it is Janeway is who she mm-hmm. is. She's that solid captain with that moral high ground and then we're going to push it and then we're going to push it some more and we're going to push it some more. And It felt that way. It, I, could, I could see that. Well, cool. Yes, this was one I was just like, the moments fell flat, but everything was there. You could see it. I'm going to give you a nice Tuvok. So so the, the fifth episode is the one that we're actually going to watch. We'll get to that in a second. Okay. The, the 16th and final episode of the first season, which you can watch right after you watch, you know, you can watch these in order if you want. Okay. Is called Learning curve and this is a Tuvok episode and in, and this is not the recommend this is this is just another recommended okay. so this is the third recommended 16th episode of the first season learning curve and in this Tuvok will actually set up a training program for some of the maquis who are not fitting in and Tuvok will get a lesson in leadership Oh, I like it. Yes. That's great. So it's a really fun Tuvok episode. That's my third recommendation. There's our recommendations for this. And now let's get to what we're actually going to watch next week, which is the fifth episode of the first season Mm -hmm. featuring Neelix, the Doctor, a little bit of Kess, a little bit of Tom Paris, and it's called Phage. And I'm going to spell it. P-H-A-G- E. Phage. Is that a ghost? I don't believe that it is a ghost. When you find out what it actually is, you'll be like, oh yeah, that sounds like one of those. Huh. It seems like I've heard this in like fantasy stories, like high fantasy. Phages are um, dark. They're, they're, they're bad guys. They're like ghosts or something. Anyway, I will find out. So it's, it's, it's a bit of a dark episode. And I mentioned it features the doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Good, 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 good. Which probably means something is going to go wrong with, I'm going to say, Neelix. So Neelix is going to get an infection of some kind. And he is going to turn into not himself. Or oh, he's going to start to die. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know what happens after that. The doctor is going to have to save him. Obviously, Kess is going to be that in a little bit. But now, yeah, I think it's going to be centered around Neelix is dying. Because of something alien bad virus. Okay. All right. Well, we will find out how close you are in your prediction. When are you going to be? Uh, when are you going to be watching and tweeting? I will be tweeting Phage at Begin the Trek on Twitter. The first time I watch it this coming Sunday, the seventeenth uh, at seven p.m. Mountain Time. I can't believe we're so far along on this. It's exciting. Isn't this Voyager. amazing? 30, 37 episodes. You're about to watch your thirty-eighth on this track episode. Uh, a little bit more. Now you're getting some some Janeway recommendations. You getting excited about that? Uh, I am. I'm I'm curious to see. I've been and now I'm watching a little bit of. I mean, I've gone back and watched the animated series a little bit more, and uh, definitely DS9. I'm continuing with just for my own fun. So, uh, 
there's too much. I don't have enough time. So by the end of this trek, I am going to have literally, how much did we start out with? 700 episodes to watch? At, at this point, when you add in the first season of Discovery, there are 744 episodes of Star Trek. And it's not stopping. Nope, it's not. And we're, and we're catching 52 plus whatever I've recommended sure. along the way. And uh, by the time that we get to the end of ours, there may even be more out there. So, All right. So if you guys want to tell me what you think, you can tweet at Beginning the Trek. You could follow us on Facebook. Beginning the Trek. Yeah, I said that right. <laughs> at Beginning the Trek, right, right. Beginning the Trek. I am excited. We, we are fully set to go to Las Vegas for the convention. So I hope that I get to meet some people. I'm, I'm excited about that. They'll all know your face. <laughs> well, they may not know my face, but well, though, you know, if you've been to the conventions and you've seen Harry Mud walking around. It's probably you. <laughs> that might have been me. Uh, but yeah, we'll be at the convention. Gosh, I hope we get to meet some 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 of y'all listeners. Yeah. I would really love to have some face-to-face Pick your brains. time. Yeah, that'd be we'll fun. Have to, we'll have to, maybe we'll post some, we're going to meet at Quark's Bar at blah, blah, blah time or something like that. Come by. Is Quark, is that like a pop-up bar or is there a Quark's Bar always? No, it's it's at the convention. If I order prune juice, am I actually going to get prune juice, or has somebody made a drink that's like Worf's version of? I assume prune juice is actually prune juice. I'm curious. These are things I don't know yet. I guess we'll find out. We'll find out. Or order anyway, some. See what are, we, <laughs> are we good? I, for I this think one? so. Enjoy phage and anything else. I don't even know what you're going to watch anymore. I know. There's too much to pick from. Used to be, used to be, I'd recommend two or three of them to you and you might watch those. And now I come back and you've like watched, oh, I watched a couple of animateds and I watched some Deep Space Nine right. and there was this. And yet, have you gone back and watched Redemption yet? No. No. <laughs> I'm on, I'm stuck in DS9. I mean, I got gotcha. But there's some like, and just because it's been on my mind, there are some fascinating uh, animated stuff. I had a, a friend who's uh, traveling in Australia, so we've lost a little bit of touch. But uh, she came back to me and she's just like, you need to watch all of them. Like right now. If she was here, she would force me to sit. She says that's her favorite track is the animated series. It's really good. And most people don't even know about it. Most people don't even know it exists. So, yeah. All right. Have fun watching Phage. We'll talk to you next week. We'll see you next week. Where's the where's the beta quadrant then? I haven't heard of this one yet. It's uh it's down yonder. <laughs> <laughs> you go down you go down to the mailbox. You go down to the blue mailbox and you make a left and No, then you, somebody's mapped this out. And there's a guy on a porch and he'll wave at you and then it's just just over the hill. Go past the people who are dosy doing. That's the beta quadrant.